Hello, everybody. Welcome once again to another fantastic episode of the Business Creators Radio Show. My name is Adam Homey. I'm your host, and I am honored by your wise decision to join us today. As the name says, our listeners are business creators. They fall into four categories. Uh, We have our entrepreneurs, small business owners, and local business owners. We have the marketing and business coaches. We have folks who help others build their businesses. And on the other side of that coin, we have the do-it-yourselfers who run your own businesses and love to have your own hands on the marketing levers as you grow your enterprise. If you're one or more of the above, please explore episodes at www.businesscreatorsradioshow.com and discover how we help you win at the game of business and marketing. For today's topic, and this is one I've been excited about for a while, because there is a lot of information out there that's available to business creators, available to entrepreneurs, available to small business owners on revenues and profits and what we truly mean by wealth. I could take up an entire hour just giving examples of some of the misguided ideas, at least the ideas that I see are misguided in terms of what really constitutes wealth. I mean, does it involve you have $5 million in the bank and you drive a Rolls Royce and own a mansion with a condo in La Jolla? Not that I'm putting that down because La Jolla is great. Uh, Or is it a matter of you have absolutely no debts, no obligations, and you're not tied down by anything and you can pick up and go wherever you want? I have friends, uh, coincidentally, one from La Jolla, California, actually, who do not really have a home. They have their mail forwarded to a P.O. box, but the exciting thing about their life is because they don't own a house, they don't own furniture, they don't have a lot of material possessions, but they have cash flow, they can pick up and they can go wherever they want. So tomorrow, if they said something like, hey, you know what, I want to spend a month in Luxembourg, they could be on a plane by tomorrow afternoon on their way to Luxembourg to spend a month. They don't have any accountability to anybody, and they don't have to worry about being around to make sure the electric bill gets paid because, really, they don't have one. So... These are just a couple examples of personal wealth, and we want to talk about revenues and profits, and there's a difference between those two words I think many of our listeners know, but I am going to have my guests clear that up for us. And for the Business Creators Radio Show today, we have Hillary Hendershot, who I'm very excited to have with us today. And just to tell you a little bit about her, Hillary Hendershot, who's an MBA like me and a CFP, which is a Certified Financial Planner, is the founder and chief executive of Hillary Hendershot Financial. Hillary is a money mentor to business owners. She's a money mindset expert and an experienced wealth manager. She's worked for nearly 15 years with people who want to preserve their wealth, make it grow, and this is a big one for our business creators, eliminate financial stress once and for all. Hillary is a TEDx speaker, and she's regularly featured in Forbes, BBC Online, Investopedia, NPR's Marketplace and Women 2.0. She was recognized as a top 40, under 40 entrepreneur in Silicon Valley. She has been interviewed multiple times by the Wall Street Journal. Her articles are syndicated nationally, and she's a columnist in Daily Worth's Connect platform for financial experts. With more than 30 television appearances... She's the go-to personal finance expert in Silicon Valley for the NBC Evening News, where they call her the investor's voice of reason. I guess what you could say from reading this bio is when you go to Hillary's website, and if she has any of the as-seen-on logos, she's really been seen there. So that's something I just love to see more of. Hillary, welcome aboard. 
Thank you so much, Adam. It's a pleasure to be here. And as a matter of fact, when we come down the front page of HillaryHendershot.com, I do see the beautiful logos listing all these awesome media outlets. So you're somebody who's pretty well-known. You called well known. it. Yep, you're somebody who's pretty well-known. And uh, and personally, I'm not even sure if I'm worthy to be on the call here with you. I should probably just give the entire Business Creators show Business Creators Radio show over to you and just have you take over. I mean, seriously, well, I'm in the I'm, presence I'm of greatness. I'm flattered, but <laughs> I've heard some of your stuff, Adam, and you're you're a gifted profiteer, a profit champion like myself. Yep. And uh, so what I'd like to do here first off is, and this is uh, there's a couple things we go through with all of our guests before we get into the nitty-gritty, because you're going to be sharing with us five steps to turn revenues into profits and personal wealth. What I first want to do is, you know, we've read off your very impressive biography. I mean, I, I myself am humbled. But tell us a little bit about Hillary the person and the intersection of your brilliance and passion that has brought you to where you are today. But so I am, let's start with where I am today. As you mentioned, I live in Silicon Valley with my husband. He's a finance professor at Santa Clara University, so we are kind of all finance all the time. In right. fact, we're in, in as we speak. You and I speak today. We're in Miami at a at a finance conference, and um, and I got my start in as a, a certified financial planner about 15 years ago in my right. father's firm, and um, I got brought into the business. That I was lucky enough. You know, a lot of financial advisors start in a bullpen with a phone and a phone book. And I didn't have to start that way. I um, brought into, mentored into the business, so I had the opportunity to start working with millionaires and multimillionaires right away. It was truly an honor. But what happened was I found myself advising people on their million-dollar portfolios during the day, coming home to a stack of credit card bills that I wouldn't open because I couldn't pay them. And it was a big a big conflict in my life. In fact, things got quite bad, bad enough that I had a BMW in the parking garage of my condo, and I had a nice, fat monthly payment on that BMW right. that I couldn't afford to pay. The BMW broke down. I couldn't afford to fix it, and I even couldn't afford to put gas in it. Oh, boy. So, yeah, I said to myself, uh, we've, we've got to – We've got to fix some things here. So at that point, Adam, and, you know, what I knew looking out into the world, I had my clients that I worked with who had had financial success. And then it seemed to me there was this other cohort of people, myself at that time included, who was like, hmm, we're not really on the path to being millionaires or multimillionaires. What's the difference between us? And now I'm in a – at that time, I, you know, I realized I was in a dire situation and we said – I've got to figure this out. So at that point, I said, it's got to be psychology. Right? Behavior is dictated by psychology. So I became an expert on neuropsychology and even neuroplasticity. And so that's why I call myself a money mindset expert. And that's when I was able to do, a, a, was honored to share my research and my own turnaround story on the TEDx stage at my alma mater in Santa Clara University. So that, that TEDx talk is called The Surprising Power of Language to Make You Rich. And um, basically, I discovered the keys to turning around my own financial situation, and I said to myself, look, if I can do this for myself, I know that I can do it for other people. I was able to pay off the debt, rebuild my retirement savings. Um, but really, Adam, when you, for me, when I was at that point in my life, I suffered a lot of 
feelings of insecurity, lack of self-worth. I was embarrassed. I was scared to even go out and spend time with a friend, which is probably what I needed right. was to have someone's supportive shoulder. But I thought, you know, I can't even afford a glass of wine. <laughs> you know, I've got these bills coming. I can't, I can't be spending money in the restaurant or the bar. And so I, I just started hiding. And yeah. so it's, it's, it's having produced a transformation in that situation that makes me proud and that gives me passion, gets me up out of bed so that I can help other um, entrepreneurs and people who really want to be successful have the life that they want. I know what you mean. Yeah, it's, um, it's very meaningful work. And yeah. I think for people who are willing to apply themselves um, really, truly, you can have anything that you want. I meet so many people who who get into business and you know, they maybe have a passion or a hobby or some kind of skill, and um, and, and they mean they mean well, and they start the business um, with the best of intentions, and they find themselves five, maybe ten years down the road uh, on a treadmill, on a on that uh, hamster wheel, <laughs> right? Uh, just barely making it. So, um, so I'm really hoping my intention for today's conversation is to really make an impact for people who are busting their butts and not having the kind of success that they want. You know, I'm going to reveal the, one of the deeper reasons we wanted you on the Business Creators Radio Show and why we specifically reached out to you. Uh, what you just described in terms of some of your own journey is a point that I came to approximately one year ago today. Um, in terms of my entrepreneurial ventures, 2014 was the best year we ever had. I mean, by far, by, I mean, 20% better revenue-wise than any year we'd ever had. And then during that year, we actually managed to reduce the debt. We cut back expenditures. We brought on new clients. We had new projects. I mean, everything was going good. And then I had to ask myself uh, at the end of March, why is it that I have a tax bill coming up that I can't afford to pay, that we have to go finding additional deductions that we've been trying to avoid just so I can pay this tax bill. So if I made Ooh. all this great money and I had this strong business, where the hell is all the money? Right. And uh, when I went to my coach with this, when I told the people in my own circle of influence, you know, my buddy coaches and such, the uh -huh. across-the-board response I got was, welcome to the club, pal. <laughs> so this <Right>. is universal. <laughs> this is universal. And what I want everybody who's listening to feel emancipated to do is to step up and own that sometimes there's a difference between where you want to be and where you are right now. And hopefully some of what we cover in the next 50 minutes here will help bridge that gap. So I invite everybody to do that. But there is one more thing that we need to do before we get into the brilliant information you're going to share with us today. And this is something that our listeners know is coming. So I'm just going to do the old drum roll on the desk. Here in the Business Creators Radio Show, we provide the tools, techniques, and strategies to help entrepreneurs quickly grow their businesses. A lot of our listeners tell me they have everything they need to implement at anything that, any, that we share for them to do, except for time and money. Now, this is a question we ask every expert who appears on our show. What I like is not only the variety of different answers, but also the variety of ways the question is interpreted. So, Hillary, how do time and money impact what you're going to share with us today? So, I think the, the key thing for a business owner is to understand their key performance indicators and to right. spend their time and money on the things that drive things forward. And you're always going, 
in life, as soon as you take on something important, you will never be able to get it all done. And your success, I think, is determined based upon the things you choose to focus on and spend your time on, and that means saying no. I say the more successful you are, the more you have to say no. <laughs> right. Yeah, and, and I, for years, have been saying, and I've been advising people, say no to success. Uh, when I found myself in that situation a year ago, one of the key strategies I implemented to get myself to a point where the cash flow that was in the business sort of resembled what it actually looked like on paper is just to start saying no like crazy. Even the things that look perfectly right on paper, like this is supposedly the type of project we want, this is supposedly the type of deal we want to be in, this is supposedly the type of client we want, but you know what, I'm just not feeling it, or I don't have time, or I'm concerned that I might not have time. Uh, and I actually set a benchmark that if we're not saying no to 95% of everything that shows up on our doorstep, we're being too generous. And well, taking that approach has been a breakthrough. Yeah, that's powerful. I I typically start, when I when I tell people, I start with 50%. But if your percentage is 95%, that's powerful. Yeah. Yeah, I think I've said no four times this week already, and it's Tuesday. Well, lucky me <laughs> that you said yes. <laughs> yes. Well, for the Business Creators Radio Show, that's a little bit of a different story. Uh, although I will tell you that when you're a guest on the Business Creators Radio Show, you're part of a very elite group. I mean, we don't bring just anybody on uh we vet all of our guests and we know who we have coming on the show it's sort of like you know if you think of me as an attorney i don't ask a question i'll know the answer to so uh let's get into some of these questions because i know that a lot of our listeners don't know the answers and we're going to help them get some answers right now uh Many of our guests know that when I do the interviews, not only am I the host, but I am also in the audience with my own pen and paper out, taking notes myself, looking for that slight edge to help me win at the game of business and marketing. So uh, I am at your service here, but what I'd like to do here is um, one thing that's kind of an elephant in the room here. So we're going to address a giant elephant in the room. I know two dozen coaches and half of those coaches have been in fact guests on the business creators radio show who deal with something called money mindset. Is that yes. getting a little woo woo at this point? So that's why I, why I often talk about it. I say neuropsychology. Um, and I talked about this in my TEDx talk. So the, the core answer to your question, I think sometimes when some people talk, talk about it, I think it's woo woo. Yes. <laughs> Um, I'm very much not a woo-woo person, and I think it's a great question. And actually, nobody's ever asked me that, so thank you for, for getting real right away. Yeah. Um, if you so in so I often quote the work of neuropsychologists such as a woman named Lyra Boroditsky, okay, who was at Stanford University. She conducted research uh, specifically on people who speak two different languages, or in one case, people who speak. English versus people who speak Russian. And I don't know if you know this, but the Russian language has eight different words for the color blue. Right. And whereas we in the English language only have one word for the color blue. Blue is blue. Right? I mean, you have light blue, dark blue, but there's, blue, there's just blue. And she actually proved by showing people different shades of the color blue that Russians, as a function of having language or distinctions for the color blue, can see far more blue colors than only English speakers can see. And the implications of this are really profound. See, we think that we use language 
as a reaction to the world that's already there. For example, I'm looking out at this beautiful bay where there are yachts driving by, and I look at a particular thing comprised of uh, plastic and whatever they need boats out of. Sorry, I'm a finance expert, not a boat expert. Right. Um, and, and I say yacht or I say boat, and we think that we're describing the world accurately. But what Linda Borditsky's work demonstrates is that actually our language brings distinction to the world, which actually gives rise to our thoughts, feelings, and actions. And this is particularly true when something is conceptual. So, for example, time is very conceptual. You'll notice that your story about time, what you say about time, is your experience of time, right? For many entrepreneurs, I don't have enough time. Like earlier, you just said, I already think that I said no to four things this week, like I don't have time. Right. So in my life, I choose to use the language. I don't choose to spend my time on that, or I'm not going to schedule for that. Right. It's akin to saying I can't afford that, right? So I don't choose to use those words anymore. I used to say that a lot, and it was true. (laughs) Um, But now I use different language that gives rise to a different experience. Like I don't choose to make room for that in my spending plan, or I'm not committed to spending my money on that. Is, is a different way to say that. Now, if I am, let's say there's something that I really want, I use the language, hmm, let me figure out how I'm going to work that out. Or um, I'm going to get back to you within a week to, and, and let you know how I'm going to work that in my plan. It's just very different language than let me see if I can afford that or I can't afford that. And you'll notice that it gives you a very different experience of reality. So I think that's maybe a short medium-length answer to your question as opposed to getting into a good – I think a lot of people when they address money mindset, they say, well, get into a good state, uh, have a glass of wine, play some empowering music, um, like this. And it it is sort of intangible, non-repeatable, and non-specific. It's also very unscientific. And I'm a very scientific gal. (laughs) So – uh, and where to look about money mindset is we all have some core language that describes the world for us about money. For me, I had a very common, uh, what I call money operating system, like your computer has an operating system that dictates everything, how it interacts with the software and the hardware and how the user interface looks. You have a money operating system that really dictates everything for you around money. Mine was, there's never enough money. Right. Now, again, very common one. Um, But I got a good education, I got a good job, and I was earning higher than six figures before I turned 25. In Silicon Valley, that was pretty easy to do. And um, so how you make real the money operating system, there's never enough money, when you're earning a lot of money, is you overspend it. I spent every penny I earned. I didn't save it. I loved spending money. I spent on credit cards. I bought cars on debt. I overfinanced my condo. All that behavior went very congruently with the money operating system. There's never enough money. So some other money operating systems that are pretty common include um, money gives me power. That's a fairly common one. These are the folks you see driving the flashy cars, um, 
They like to pay for drinks and dinner. They um, they wear Versace suits and like this. Um, another one is uh, there's there's always enough money. That's a fairly healthy money operating system. There's um, you know if I'm good, the universe will provide, which is um, a, a really positive world outlook. It's just a, it's it's just a. Uh, it's sort of a myth, right? It's a superstition about money. And it doesn't lead to people taking responsibility for their financial outcomes because they think that it's, uh, it's out of their hands. They just go be virtuous and money will show up. Usually those folks find themselves in inexplicable breakdowns around money. Right. Uh, I don't know, as I'm speaking, is it coming clear to you what might be your core money belief or maybe there are folks you're working with whose language about money is so consistent you can see it. But we develop these money operating systems when we're young because when we're kids, we can't deal with how conceptual money is. I mean, money is just a, it's just a, it's not even a piece of paper, right? A bill, a $10 bill isn't even money. That's a piece of paper that we put ink on and we call it money. Um, but we relate to money now as adults like it's this very tangible thing. When I say the word money, this whole world arises for you, and that world is really created, just going back to our Russian speakers who, who see more blues than English speakers, that world is really created by the language that you historically have used and now believe about money. And this also explains why money goes so differently for some people. Wow. I ask one question and you basically transform my thinking. If you're listening to this live, subscribe to iTunes and catch this on the replay. If you're listening to it on iTunes, rewind six minutes and listen to this again. Uh, From the very beginning of that very brief answer to that very long question, (laughs) uh, I loved where, Hillary, I loved where you shared the language we put around things. And this is something that I had heard of conceptually, but I'd never had presented to me in quite this way, is how we language. Well, I don't have time. So it's not a matter of I don't have time. And, yeah, you know what? You're absolutely right. You made me think about that. I always feel like I'm racing uphill. The day is going five times as fast as I needed to. And why the hell can't I ever get anything done? So it's a matter of where I'm choosing to spend my time, whether I'm choosing to invest my time. Uh, And I could even take that one step further. Uh, And this is another part of the entrepreneur's dilemma, is many entrepreneurs say, well, um, I can work whenever I want, so I'll just work on it later on. Uh, But if you try and say, well, I'm done with this at 6 o'clock, that doesn't always work. You can word that another way and say, well, I choose to be productive now and because later on today I've already chose, made another choice. The same with money. I choose not to invest in this. I mean, think about how empowering that is. And I can just imagine our business creators when they're being presented with an opportunity that is, uh, even if it looks good on paper, is not in their hell yes category. And instead of and, you know, and they may get the hard sell, like, you know, you really need to join us. You really need to buy this. You really need to do this. You really need to come to this. And even if it is a reality that just, you know, looking at their bank statements, looking at their credit cards, they just don't want to take on the expense right now. Uh, isn't it empowering to say, I choose not to invest in this at this time. This is not in alignment with our 
current goals, maybe later, but not now, rather than I don't have the money. Because as soon as you say, I don't have the money to somebody who's going to try and put the sell on you, they're going to say, how much room do you still have left on that credit card? And why are you not using that line of credit to invest in yourself? And that puts you above money in the universe of who has the power. Right. And say, I can't afford that or I don't have time. That means time is your master. Money is your master. Right. Uh, and that's, that's, it's been a conscious effort for me, but that's not how I choose to use my language anymore. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, you just, you just uh, opened up something that if I had known this three years ago, I'd probably have a lot more friends right now because you can imagine I get invited to, uh, I get invited to join masterminds all the time. For some reason, every single time somebody wants to start a mastermind, somehow I end up on that short list of people that just love to get in their mastermind. I, I belong to the same mastermind group for three years or actually six years. And I have no intention of leaving it because it's the mastermind that serves me. Um, I may add another one at some point, but all these conversations, conversations have come down to I just don't want to take on another monthly mastermind fee is what it comes down to uh, or I don't know if I have the bandwidth to give to participating in another set of group calls another annual event uh, another Facebook forum and all these other things but when we word it as I choose not to invest in this this is not in line with our current plan wow that is powerful so everybody sure. and go the back truth and is you know if you knew that a new mastermind was going to make you $10 million next year, you would make time, right? I'd it's, come it's up just, with it. Yeah. Yep. Even, <laughs> even, even, if, even if I didn't have the money, I'd find the money. That's right. That's right. And so it really, you know, it, it really is about you being a master of your schedule in your bank account. Wow. So I guess this whole money mindset thing isn't so woo-woo after all, is it? Not when you come to me for it. No, no. it's not. Oh, I, oh I, I, I love the modesty, too. That's awesome. I really appreciate that. <laughs> and the sense it is something, I admit, it's something I'm a little sensitive about because I don't want people to think I'm woo-woo because I deal with their money all the time. So I appreciate you bringing it up, and that really was a, a rich conversation. Thank you. Oh, you bet. Now, we're going to be getting to the five steps to turn revenues uh, into profits and personal wealth here in just a minute. But uh, there is a question that one of our regular listeners who knew who you were going to be on the show wanted to know if I could ask you this. And when I saw this question, I knew that we had to get this out of the way fairly early. A lot of entrepreneurs, particularly people who own online businesses, I've noticed anyway, as well as a lot of the people in the masterminds that I encounter, tend to be, tend to be right-brained. They tend to be artistic. They tend to be what is known in the entrepreneurial language as unemployable. So these are the type of people who really don't care as much about numbers. They're not going to get excited over spreadsheets. I mean, and I'm, and I'm the first to tell you, I pay my accountant a lot of money so I don't have to think about that stuff. I, I mean, I, sometimes people ask me how much I pay my accountant, and I tell them, and they tell me I'm completely wasting my money. I say I'm absolutely not wasting my money because I have an accountant who niches in entrepreneurs and small business ventures who understands this and has certifications across states then has the knowledge, the ability, and the strategic mind where I don't have to think about this. And he understands to make sure to keep us in compliance with every federal, state, and local tax requirement, but not a penny more, and to keep more money in my right. pocket. I will gladly pay his rates. Uh, I don't care how expensive people tell me he is. I will pay that one all the time because 
I am kind of a right brain person in a way, and I'm very, very much what you would call unemployable and unabashedly proud of it. So for people like me and people like my guest, who I because I know the person, he's very right mind, right brain, very artistic. Uh, how do we help people like us make knowing our numbers simple? Well, it's interesting because often CEOs who you specifically mentioned as left brains have a terrible time growing their business and having successful businesses. So I don't actually think that being left-brained or right-brained naturally is correlated or uh, links to being successful in business. And the real answer to that is you, you have to imagine your business as a funnel. And we're now getting into one of the five steps, and, and that's fine. Uh, imagine your business as a funnel. So you as a, as a business owner, we affect the future. We create something that wasn't already there. How are you going to do that? You do that with conversations, whether those conversations are in your marketing or in your advertising or your sales conversations or your inspirational speeches or when you ask for the job or when you negotiate for a price. Um, And you're bringing people in. You're convincing them they want what you have you're selling it, you're delivering it, you're nurturing those customers to grow your business. So each business has its own key performance indicators, the numbers that indicate the health of the business. For example, I don't know if you watch Marcus Lemonis' The Profit, the reality show. Right. Um, but I, uh, I don't have cable. It's on Netflix, and it is about business. And uh, I kind of love this show, even though he's always dealing – almost always dealing with product or retail businesses. For product or retail businesses, their KPI numbers are inventory, margin, and average sales. And so if you know those three numbers as a retail business owner, you're winning, right? And that's what he's walking around asking people, these business owners. "What What do you have in inventory? What's your margin on this product? How much are people typically buying? If you can impact those numbers, for example, in a burger shop, he adds shakes and fries. Those nearly double the average sale in the business. Right. It doesn't take a left brain person to do that. Not at all. Right? No. <laughs> no. And then you have your I, bean counter, if you want to use that title, um, to make sure everything's ticked and tied and documented and that you are doing what Uncle Sam, if you're U.S.-based, what Uncle Sam wants you to do and, you know, following all the rules. But it's, it's your job as the business owner to fill that funnel and to keep things moving through it. And I see it as very, very elegant. I see it as, um, honestly, I think the best salespeople in the world are probably more right-brained than left-brained. And I run into business owners all the time who say, I built my business through passion. I have no idea how I produced, you know, that kind of exponential growth, except I was passionate, and what they were doing was actually selling, 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 and selling something that people decided they couldn't live without. Yeah, yeah, and and this is all very important stuff to consider. It is very possible to be right-brained and be artistic and think about the business, and my thoughts on this, everything you said is absolutely correct, is something I believe in and endorse, is business doesn't always have to be all that complicated. Uh, There is 
uh, I'm trying to remember the name of it. Uh, a friend of mine was there just last night, actually. I'm not thinking of the name of this. Dag Nabbit. But there is a chain of fast food restaurants. And the name's going to come to me. I'm, I'm, I'm just drawing a blank here. Uh, okay. They don't – the only thing they sell is chicken fingers. No chicken sandwiches. Okay. No chicken nuggets. No chicken salads. And they don't have hamburgers or pitas or vegan options or anything like that, which is why I went along for the ride, but all I got was a lemonade. Uh, but uh, but because um, I'm because I'm vegan after all. So I um, but this is the only thing they sell is chicken fingers and they have a very small kitchen. They have a very streamlined operation. You go in there any time when they're open and they've got a line almost to the door. Because they are just so good at these chicken fingers. So if you have a right brain type business, you can find something you're just really, 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 really good at and just zero in on it. That way you don't have to think too hard. And you can focus that on something. That is a great example of the principle of focus. <laughs> yes, the intersection of your brilliance and your passion. So whoever came up with this, and I'm going to remember the name of this restaurant one minute after we end this interview. Just watch, mark my words. Uh, is it called Raising Canes? Yes. Thank you. Thank you. Yes, yes. I don't go to fast food restaurants myself, so it's not something I know much about. I was just along for the ride with a friend of mine who uh, wanted to, who really wanted these chicken fingers. So, uh, but I, you know, when I was in there, I mean, I knew I was gonna, I was not gonna eat anything that was on their menu. But so I took the opportunity to look at their operation, see what it looked like, what I could see of the kitchen, how their order process, their way their menu was laid out above the counter, and. It was just absolutely brilliant. And a crowded field, we have so many fast food restaurants that are adding all these other options. It's like you're supposed to be a burger joint, but now you've turned into basically a full serve. Are you not getting away from a core principle or something like that? Because think about it. If uh, Raising Cane decided they were going to start selling hamburgers, do you think that would really be the best hamburgers? No. No. They no, wouldn't. they wouldn't. They, 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 would they might be, space. Yeah, they might be excellent hamburgers. Don't get me wrong, but it wouldn't really be their core thing. It would be like somebody told them that they need to have hamburgers there because 15% of their customers will also order a hamburger. So why are you leaving money on the table? And um, you know, again, you can take so much from that kind of business, but these folks are obviously masters at market testing, at understanding efficiency, and to getting back to something we've talked a lot about in this conversation is saying no. Because I'm sure there are people on their executive team saying, why don't we just add a chicken sandwich? Come right. on, guys. <laughs> right. Yeah, and, and what I see a lot in my world is, um, up until five years ago, up until 2010, I owned a web development company. I myself am not a web designer, so we had a team of designers that did the actual design work. Uh, and where we got a fair amount of business is you have these folks who come out with coaching programs or they come out with info courses that also come with like five weeks of support or something like that. And one of the most common upsells for years was, oh, and we'll build a website for you too. If you could only imagine how much money we made off all the chestnuts we had to pull out of the fire because they these people sold all these courses and all these programs and got stuck on the hook for 25 websites and their designer just quit on them 
Mm. I had somebody who was a friend of mine who did this exact type of offer, and he had three designers lined up thinking, okay, I can handle just about anything. In one day, he had a falling out with one of the designers who quit. Um, a second one just announced that they had been bought out to go full-time with somebody else, and this was their last day. And then the third one just stopped answering emails, stopped answering the phone. If you, if you're one of your core offerings is building websites, it's yeah. tough to have that be offered by a team contractor. Yeah, <laughs> it's very it's very hard to do. And it's uh, but to see the problem is is these folks listened to the advice and said, well, you know, you should probably build them a website too. Why? I mean, uh, I mean, web design is a is an art. It's it's a practice. And it's not something that you just, you know, do in addition to 25 other things. It's sort of like being an SEO. You either do that or you don't do it. I mean, it's not like one of 19 different things on the menu. It's, it's something that's, you know, in some ways scientific. It's, there's a lot of effort involved in it, and it takes a certain amount of skill. You don't just tack that onto something. But when you listen to that no, advice, you listen to that advice, and you sometimes find yourself the opposite of wealth. And I see that as almost taking advantage of something that's prolific in the small business owner market, right. which is really ignorance about how to build a, a good website. Right. And so, you know, it, it, it's a very tough place to be. And I agree. I agree. Uh, if you're not going to specialize in it, if you don't do it really well, especially if you're just building, if you're really getting into that exponential growth as a business owner, man, just do not lose your focus. Exactly. And this is where I want to transition into the five steps to turn revenues into profits. And the reason I took it in this direction is because in those cases, uh, particularly my one friend, is they had an offering that was otherwise extremely profitable, and they went in the red on those damn websites because they paid designers for partial work, and then the people disappeared. And then they came to my firm wanting us to take deep discounts. So I said, well, we didn't make the mess. In fact... Not only did we not make the mess, if we take any of these on, we're having a mess to clean up. So not right. only, it's not, it's not, it's not going to be a discount. It's going to be a premium. And, uh, and besides, we, you may have 25 you need done. Uh, we really only have bandwidth for four right now. So show me your plate, and I'll tell you which four I'll take. And uh, that's, just, <laughs> I mean, that's just the way it was because we, couldn't, we didn't have the bandwidth to do 25. I don't know many web development firms that have that bandwidth, truth be told. Uh, so the bottom line is, they ended up losing a lot of money because they put in upsells in the interest of not leaving money on the table, and they ended up taking their money and just throwing it all over the you – know, they ended up making it rain for everybody else but themselves. Yeah, it's a good example of not testing, not understanding your service model, and really not being able to deliver on a promise, which is just a basic, basic tenet of being a business owner. <laughs> yes. All right, so we've talked about money mindsets. We've talked about uh, the right-brained, artistic, unemployable person, and we've spoken about the potential danger of upsells, and we've spoken of the power of being focused in your niche. So let's get into the five steps to turn revenues into profits and personal wealth. Lay it on me. I got into my notepad out. I'm ready to go. Awesome. Okay, great. The first is start with the end in mind. Right. And so if you are – if you've already started your business, you can always take it back to basics. If you're looking at starting a new business or starting a business for the first time, you really want to take the time to understand what kind of business you're building. Not, this is not uh, conceptual. It's not theoretical. It's not like 
um, an emotional impact. This is a, you really need to understand how to build this business financially based on the model that you're building. For example, um, I'm from Silicon Valley, and we all know that startups, uh, venture-funded startups, are hot in Silicon Valley. And you're, you're probably familiar with the model: the CEO has an idea, builds something, bootstraps a little, gets some VC or angel funding uh, buy-in, and then. Uh, continues to build that company, but they bootstrap. He hires, he or she hires an executive team that takes minimal compensation for a three or seven year period, sometimes more, and you know they're they're sort of barely making a salary that would justify their pedigree and their experience. But what they're going for is that payoff at the end of the day. So that's an example where taking a lower salary. And it, while you're working so hard, right? They're working a lot. They're working intensely, is justified, or that's that's essentially the gamble that people are willing to take. So that's a situation where you might be willing to take a medium uh, or what you consider a low compensation. Now, let's take a business that is truly, truly just a, a personality brand. Let's take a, you know, one of my favorite guys is uh, um, I'm a I'm a big athlete and I lift weights and I go to uh, a body worker. He's right. this big, big guy, big biceps, and he makes my he makes my body so that my back doesn't hurt, so I can sleep well. But the minute he stops working, his business is done. Right? He can't make money if he's not in the therapeutic room. Right? Right. So he's got to make a salary compensation that he's happy with now that he can save enough money for the future so that when he either wants to stop working or has to stop working, he can do that. Or he has to license what he does. He has to find a way to scale, right? Um, so this is, a, this is a good example of a service-based business that right now is unscalable if he doesn't find a way to create a template or a model for what he does. Uh, some of the things that we know, for example, are professional service providers like lawyers and CPAs have the potential to be some of the highest compensated or most profitable uh, service-based or professional services businesses. So those, are, those tend to be, if you have a good mind for business, those tend to be great businesses to get into. Uh, another kind of business is a product-based business. We talked earlier about retail businesses, but let's say you're an inventor and you're looking to invent something that you want to get on the shelves at Walmart. Walmart or Costco um, is this kind of opportunity that tends to make product-based businesses very rich. So you want to make something, you want to make it a bazillion times, you need to get distribution. As soon as you get that distribution, you are in there, right? But product-based businesses, um, they don't require you. Adam Home each base doesn't have to be on the product, right? right? It might be trademark, proprietary, they might not, you know, when I buy the product, I might not even know who you are. That's a very, very sellable business. So you know if you're in a product business and you have that skill set to get into Walmart, get into Costco, you can create it, get the distribution, and then sell that business easily because that can be, uh, you know, there are lots of kinds of businesses that are very interested in buying those revenue streams. And so you can make an okay salary during the time when you own the business, but you can expect that payoff at the end of the day. Is that kind of clear what I'm saying? You have businesses that are sellable for high, for, for high prices at the end and businesses 
that really aren't. And that really determines how much you have to be able to pay yourself to be a happy and satisfied and well-compensated business owner. You know, I happen to know that my business, the, the wealth management aspect of what I do, sells for about two and a half times annual revenue. That's approximate. And there in my market right now, there are more buyers than sellers. My business is very, very sellable. But I'm not going to make 100x. That's just not in the cards for me. Right. right? So my goal is to build up, and I have a recurring revenue stream. My goal is to build up that revenue stream, make it as profitable as I can, and that's why, for example, you often run into financial advisors who have account size minimums. It's not because we're snotty. It's because we're profit-focused. And um, and to make it as profitable as I can, I, I intend to run my business until I'm done and tired. I'm I'm, I'm going to turn 40 this year, and I'm not, I'm not tired at all. Me too. Got, you know, <laughs> yeah, we're, yeah, we're the same age. Hey, excellent. Um, which is young for a business owner. Yes. And I've got 20, 25. You know, there are people in my industry who are 70 and 75 and still running their businesses. And then likely I will sell it. And so, um, you know, I need to be looking at creating systems in my business and um, bringing other service, like, for example, a junior planner or something in so that people get used to taking uh, to dealing with my company, but it not always being me, so that it doesn't require me to run. So that's what yeah. I mean by start with the end in mind. Understand your business model, what are the compensation possibilities, and then manage to that milling. Yes. Um, you know, someone, for example, Tony Robbins has built a highly, highly profitable business, but it would be pretty tough for him to sell it. Yes. Uh, you know, without Tony being there, there are no live events, there is no coaching with Tony, there are just the products that he's built and packaged, the educational and training products, the books and things like that that are written down and documented. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, I see, We're starting with the end in mind, and I know a lot of entrepreneurs that uh, they, will not, they, or they will not make a move in their business, and they will not you know, make any decision without pondering the question, how does this increase the saleable value of the business? Even though they have no intention of getting out of it right now, they know at some point they want to sell it. So they are not, they're not going to so much as go buy a box of pencils unless they can somehow justify that that's going to increase the ultimate saleable value of the business. Right, right. And it takes a while to get there once you're at, you know, I use the metaphor of a plane. So you're on a yep. commercial flight. You go down the runway, then you're, you're in takeoff, and then you're on an uphill trajectory until you get to cruising altitude. So the first two or five years, most, you know, most businesses aren't at cruising altitude yet. And so, but once they're at cruising altitude, it really is the right time to start asking yourself that question. Actually, you know, thanks for that. That's a great, that's a great framework to, yes. to give business owners. Right. Okay. So that is, uh, that is, Step one, uh, hey. we have about 10 minutes left here, so give us the other four steps. Okay, great. The second is automate profit, and this is the same principle as paying yourself first. So if you pay yourself first, you set up an automatic payment from your paycheck into your savings account, whether that be your IRA, your retirement savings, or right. maybe, maybe your savings for a down payment. That's in your personal accounts, but in your business accounts, I want you to create a separate account titled to your business so that you're not, you know, it's not a taxable move, but I want you to make consistent payments transfers into that profit account. And this 
fixes the problem of making business decisions based on bank account balance. It is very tempting when someone says, can you come to this event? Can you be at this trade show? Can you join this summit to open up a business bank account and say, yeah, I got, I got $10,000, no problem, here you go. But that really has nothing to do with you know, your books, your profitability, and like that. So I want you to automate profit. And then at the end of the pay period, whether, or whether at the end of the financial period, whether that be for most business owners, it's the quarter, you can then take that money out of your profit account and put it in your personal accounts, at which point, obviously, you know, you have to pay taxes on it. Right. Um, the third step is to manage your money blueprint. And this really gets back to the funnel that we talked about before. If you don't have the profits or personal income in your life that you want, your business is clogged up at some point along the process. Do you have enough advertising? Do you have enough prospects coming from that advertising? If not, you've got to make your advertising more effective. How are your sales conversations? What are your conversions? Are you managing to that number? If you're not effective there, you need to take some sales training. Then are you delivering the product effectively? Uh, are customers raving about the product or service? If not, you can take a look at that service delivery model. You kind of get where I'm going with this, but you are driving yeah. your dollar through this funnel, and that I call your money blueprint. Yes. Um, and all the way to revenue, minimizing costs so that you're taking money out of your business bank account. And as business owners, especially small business owners, Adam, I know you know, it's really tempting to just not pay tax on that money and benefit from it by, for example, I'm sitting in, I'm at the Fontainebleau Hotel in Miami, Florida. It's gorgeous, and you know, every dollar I spend here is tax deductible. Right. It's tempting to not pay myself, but if I don't pay myself, I'm also not saving for the future. And at some point, you know, I'm either going to want to or have to stop working, and so we need to plan for that day. Right. Um, and that's that, that's for business owners who. Um, you know, there's an alternate way, and that's to set up streams of cash flow. So you mentioned that earlier. You might be building businesses that are going to pay you, pay you a stream of truly passive cash flow, and that's an alternative. Um, the fourth step is master your money mindset, and we did we did talk about that. And I I teach simple ways to reframe the very powerful thinking framework we get ourselves into that we've inherited. So it's important to recognize the um, psychological nature of those frameworks and to get ourselves beyond them. So you're going to have a system of behavior that really aligns with your money mindset. For me, it was overspending. It was joy in spending. Um, and I had to rewire my money brain so that I get as much joy from saving as I did from spending. Right. And you know, this another example is business owners who um, business owners who won't charge high prices because they struggle with the thought, "I'm not worth it. I'm not worth it." Um, that is just a that is a deal killer as a business owner. It's very dysfunctional. And where to go to work is not on your sense of self worth. It's actually on your money mindset. Um, so yeah. that I think can be relieving for some people. So that's number four. And then the fifth, again, we've already talked about is track and know your key performance indicators. So um, think about it like you used to pull a decoder out of the box of Cracker Jacks and you have, you know, a piece of paper with all these letters on it, numbers and letters, 
And the decoder, when you put that frame in front of that um, indecipherable page of numbers and letters, makes the secret message known to you. And knowing your KPIs really is like that when you look at your QuickBooks. And if you're listening to this, and I know you're alone in a room or in your shower or in your car, just raise your hand if when your accountant sends you your accounting reports, you say, thank you very much, and you file them away. Right. <laughs> um, you know, it, you want to give yourself the power, be able to open that report, do exactly what you're looking for, maybe transfer it to a, a tracking dashboard, and, and then take action based on what you now know. Because those business, those, excuse me, those numbers are the lifeblood of your business. That's like going to the doctor and getting your, your blood, having them tell you what's in your blood, right? Like, we got to right. know those numbers. Precise, precisely, and uh, you know, it was, it was a, it was an effort for me too uh, to learn how to read all that paperwork my accountant does. Again, I, I pay him so I don't have to understand how it works at the level that he does it. But you're damn right, I know what the numbers mean, and I can read them, and I can tell you what's going on. Right. I mean, another example at the micro level. Let's say you undertake, you do a launch, right? Yeah. And you have the direct, you have the direct cost associated with the launch the advertising, any programming you did, contractors you brought onto the team, you have the revenue that you brought in from the launch, and then you know that those direct costs are attributed specifically to that launch. And so you really can't consider the top-level number to be what you produced in the launch. It really has to be top-level revenue minus direct costs. And those are the numbers you want to be related to um, anytime you undertake an effort. You know, I've had launches that were profitable at the level of 50%. And then there was one, I swear, Adam, I only made $100. I think I spent $12,000 on advertising, and I made $12,100. Yeah. Uh, and so it's like, okay, well, I, you know, I, I will do that that way again. Isn't that, isn't that funny how that, isn't that funny how all this stuff works sometimes? But what I love about what we've learned with you today here, Hillary, is uh, again, for me, the big breakthrough for me as a learner on the Business Creators Radio Show was the language around I don't have the money versus, or I can't afford that versus I choose not to invest in that at this time. Because another thing that I also say is that uh, in most cases, generally speaking across the board, no means not right now. It's not no forever. It's no, not right now. But if you want it to become, but if you want it to become a per- permanent no, push that person. And I, okay. and I and I know if I if I say no to something and somebody tries to twist my arm behind my back and give me the hard sell, um, what was not right now, but maybe again in six months becomes never. Well, I mean, the last Just thing like you want to do is offend somebody. Exactly. Right. Exactly. Right, right. So when you're going into a selling or a marketing proposition, just remember, no means, in most cases, generally speaking, not right now. And so when somebody says to you, I choose not to invest in that at this point, listen closely. They choose not to invest in that at this point. Will they at this be at this point forever? No, in all likelihood. It may be in six months, maybe in a year, they will be at the point where investing in you is something that will make more sense for them. Another thing is, you know, I don't have time, or you know, I don't have money, or I don't have time. I choose not to spend my time on this. 
and that one and that one that, that's and that's gonna be really great. I can't in fact I can't wait for us to finish our interview here as much as I enjoy having <laughs> you because I want to because I have I have a big writing project to do this afternoon. And I can't wait to test that one out on somebody. So I'm looking forward to this. So first I'm of all, glad. Great, great, absolutely. I wish we could go for like three hours, but unfortunately, we're a 60-minute format, and I do want to give you a little moment here. So first of all, Hillary Hendershot, thank you so much for being with us today. This has been an honor and an education. Well, it's just been wonderful to talk with you. Thank you so much. And what I'd like to do here is I'd like to just um, turn the floor over to you for just a minute, and I know we have some business creators who are on the edge of their seat who have had their minds blown or at least the doors opened and would like to gain more so if you could take a moment and share with them how they can get more from you and and i think you have something for us today don't you i do i have two things first is if you're already listening to this radio show then you're a perfect person to consider adding to your lineup my new podcast because i like you, I'm a host of a radio show. It's called Profit Boss Radio. So okay. I call I call my profiteers Profit Bosses. And uh, yeah. on Profit Boss, I interview successful and inspiring people who either have skyrocketed to success or folks who have a turnaround story like mine. And I'm really looking for the language that they use about money, their core beliefs about money, because if we look at what caused the behavior that, that led to their success is really those thoughts and beliefs and getting underneath that. And so I'm asking the very real questions like, okay, really, what do you think about doing sales? How do you feel when you ask for a big amount of money? Um, what led to that you know, tremendous success? So that's Profit right. Boss Radio. You can find that in your podcast app. And um, we are already being featured by iTunes and having some great success. So I hope you like that. And then my gift to you and your audience is the Profit Boss Money Blueprint. So we talked about that funnel, and really, you really got to customize that funnel. You really need to look at where is money breaking down or getting clogged up in my own funnel that is my business. And so I'm going to give you that graphic. It's a, it's a cheat sheet that you can customize for your own business. And I have it designed. It looks really pretty, and it takes it, – um, it uh, takes a dollar from you know, all the way from advertising and promotion all the way to your own personal bank account. And um, you can find that at HillaryHendershot.com forward slash blueprint. And my, my name has one L and Hendershot has two T's. So it's Hillary with one L, Hendershot with two T's forward slash blueprint. Well, the good news for our listeners is that all of our guest experts on Business Creators Radio Show have profiles at our website. So you can find Hillary's profile on our author page, and the links to the Blueprint page and the correct spelling of her name will both be available for you there. Thank you. All right. So again, uh, I encourage everybody to check that out, hillaryhendershot.com forward slash blueprints. I'll go check it out myself, actually. And again, thank you very much. It's been an honor and an education. Thank you, Adam. Very good. And for everybody listening, this is Adam Homie, host of the Business Creators Radio Show. Please be sure to tune in and check out our previous and our upcoming episodes at www.businesscreatorsradioshow.com and subscribe to us on iTunes, where we help you win at the game.